This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome, everybody, to the Skeptical Skeptics Podcast. I'm RJ Metzger. And I'm Rachel Metzger. And this is episode 62. So we're recording this just a few hours before you get it because Rachel. No. Doesn't. No. Ever. No. Record on time. <laughs> Not how that works. It does. You say it I one say, time. Let's go. And then we, bo- you say it one time and then we both forget. And then you, you blame it on me. That's exactly what happened. No. Yes. And then I say, let's do it. And you go tomorrow. Um, yeah. Tomorrow. Why would I say that about the day? I know I'm leaving. Tomorrow. I said it the night before that we should do it that tomorrow. night. And then you forgot just like I did. I didn't forget. Yes, I did my did. research. That's yeah. why it's done. Had doing your research is not equal that we, we, I remember re- you said, we'll do it later. If it's, if it's late, not, then it doesn't matter. I would not have said that. That's what you said. The day before I left. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, Rachel went out of town. Yeah. She's I went to now. go see my sister and my nieces and Sterling and Cole got to play with their cousins. Yep. It was a good time. It was good, but exhausting, and I'm glad I'm home. Yep. Um, I did nothing but work. Oh, and I played disc golf, so that was a good time. And I got to have four free days without kids. Yep. It was great. Three? Oh, excuse me. It was like two and a half. Felt like four. For you. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. For me, it felt like a day. Um, All right. We have nothing else going on, though, right? Mm. Oh, listener stories. Uh, we got some from Farkle Beans and, um, a bunch of other people. Emily, won't say her last name, made that mistake once, had to bleep it. Uh, we have, well, Emily, we still need the audio files, though, if you're listening to this. Um, a couple others, some older ones that I can't remember because I just filed them away. But yeah, so we still need more. I think we could probably get with like half an episode for now, so we still need some more um stories oh stan the movie man he got us too uh thanks stan and thanks for being such a awesome supporter yeah um all right so in the news we've got an american airlines pilot saw what he described as quote a long cylindrical object uh this was reported all the way back in february 26th of this year but um i just didn't get to it um my sister actually sent me this link for uh and in the news segment, but I already had like a bunch of other in the news I want to talk about. Anyway, um, yeah, so he was flying to Phoenix in the skies above New Mexico on Sunday, whatever date that was. The FBI said it was aware of the incident. The Pentagon said that the military was not conducting any tests in the area that day. Um, quote, do you have any targets up here? One of the pilots of American Flight 2292 asked air traffic controllers, uh, according to a recording of the transmission obtained by CBS News. Obviously, my source is CBS News. We just had something go right over the top of us. I hate to say this it looked like a long cylindrical object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast, went right over the top of us, end quote. American confirmed The transmission was from flight 2292 heading from Cincinnati's airport to Phoenix. The airline referred uh, additional questions to the FBI, which said it was aware of the incident. Quote, while our policy is neither to confirm nor deny investigations, the FBI works continuously with our federal, state, local and tribal partners to share intelligence and protect the public. Spokesman Frank Fisher from FBI's field office in Albuquerque said in a statement. Um, Yeah. So anyway, it's happening. It's always happening. 
Always. So they're here. So they are. I what heard, is it? They're among, they're among us? Yeah. Is that the term? So here's a fun thing to think about. Is back, it actually fun or is it going to make me unhappy? Probably make you unhappy. Oh. But um, it's back to that whole like. Uh, so if and I've talked about this like way in the early part of the uh, episodes, but um, if not if so the genetic difference between us and the chimp is 90 is one percent right right we share 99 percent, and so like the smartest chimp to us is still just stacking rocks right communicating in grunts and stuff right well if an alien is just one percent better right then we're just like the smartest of us so you know hawking and um albert einstein whoever the heck you want uh they're just like a chimp stacking rocks, according to the uh, aliens, right? Is that yeah. not horrible to think about? Well, I mean, yeah, but it's always the thing we think about. Like, think about every movie. The aliens are always way smarter than us. They're always way more advanced than we are. Like, it's never like Neanderthal aliens. So I want to take that a step further. So I know we've talked about that. I just want to refresh that. But here is the step further I didn't like. So everyone, uh, there was this thing I read, and it said... We always assume that we would be able to relate to aliens despite how different they are, right? Even if we draw them super weird in a movie. Um, but here's the thing. What if the alien race that happens upon us is one of those, like, uh, biological things that uh, lays 100 eggs, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, 99 of those kids just die. Yeah. And then one makes it. They would have like no basis of understanding if we're crying over a dead kid, right? Like, like they're like more like animal than human. Yeah, well, and especially specifically in what we like as mammals have decided is morality, right? Um, yeah. So you take that, combine it with the fact that we're just like stacking rocks as apes, and that's a pretty not cool idea. And you also, wonder why we could I don't just be a zoo. You wonder why I don't want a confirmation of aliens, right? This is literally the answer. But like. We can really be a zoo and they just come by and they visit and they look at us and then I they mean, leave. if we had the I mean, it wouldn't surprise me because that's exactly what we would do if we were the smarter ones. Yeah. I mean, we do it. We do do it. That's what I mean. An like, ant colony what, like, right out well, there. Also, like, even the organisms we've found. Um, living on different planets. Organisms we found on haven't different we, planets. Haven't we found like fungus or something? Life on, on other planets. No, babe. That would be aliens. I thought we have. No. I thought there was something about the Mars rover confirming something. There's water there. Yeah. Mm, no, I thought there was more. Mm, no, <laughs> that would be pretty big news. There is um a lot of thought that uh one of the rovers already confirmed life on either the moon or Mars or whatever, but then the actual like data got not really messed up. Like it should be enough that we would determine that it was organic matter, but no, this but, is exactly what I'm talking about. I yeah, heard about no, that and then it didn't it. come. Nothing came from it, yeah, but still, that's what it. I mean. I mean, but if we did, we would take samples of it. We would, we would observe it. We would and watch just leave it. it be. Right. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. Um, anyway, aliens had to get in there as per usual. What else do we talk about for the news? Well, sometimes it's different from the news. Almost always aliens. What are you talking about today? Today I am talking about Nova. And that's it. Always, isn't it always? Yeah, I used to love the show Nova when I was a kid. I'm excited to talk about it. That's not what we're talking about. Mm. Good try, though. Yeah. Anyway, I love that show. If you love that show, uh, probably turn this one off and go turn it on. It's way better than I don't us. know what that is. Nova? Nova on PBS. I didn't watch PBS. Ever. Except for, like, I watched Reading Rainbow and um, what was the Dragons one? Dragon Tales? Yes, that was it. 
I don't and even, even know Dragon, if that was PBS. Even Dragon Tales was like, no, it was. Oh, I watched Arthur like barely. Is that PBS? Mm-hmm. That's not PBS. Arthur is definitely PBS. Oh, whatever. No Bob Ross. Never. Reading Rainbow. Yeah. I just said that. I know, but that's a big one. That was it. Whatever. Nova was great. I think it's on PBS. Anyway, um, so back to my thing. I'm talking about. Back to. Yeah, because we never started your thing. We're talking about Nova. I know, but we never got to. Back to me. (laughs) (laughs) Not you, me. Um, So I'm talking about the Nimbinji, which is an aboriginal small person. So a Nimbin holds a special place in the Bunjalung aboriginal culture. Right? I feel like Nimbin is a name we could call Winnie. It is. Because we call her Binbin. Yeah. So when, what was it? Nimbin. Nimbin is not that far off. Yeah. So Nimbin and its surrounding ranges are rich with stories reaching back to the dream time, resting place of Warajum, the rainbow serpent, and a place of healing and initiation. The word Nimbin comes from the legend of the Nimbinji people, who are also a totem of the local Weeable tribe. The ancient sleeping warrior of the Nightcap Range still lies in watch over the village like the famous Nimbin rocks, which are now under the custodianship of the Bunjalung people. So okay. the early European settlers uh, penetrated the Nimbin Valley for timber in the 1840s. Not a good use of the word penetrate. <laughs> There's um, not many except for really one. That's true. Um, the area was first subdivided in 1903 and gazetted in 1906, and the timber industry declined. Cleared land was turned into a thriving dairy and banana farming district, and the area was revitalized by the Aquarius Festival in 1973, which brought an influx of new settlers seeking to build a new alternative lifestyle away from the city. Anyway, that's the little, little tiny snippet of local history. I found Wait, about aren't the place. you an Aquarius? Yeah, I am. So that's your festival. It is my festival. It's all about me. Um, I got that from nnsouthwest.com or nnsw.com. Sorry. Ninbin history. So the reason why I started with that is because that was literally all the history I could find about the Nimbinji people without like really like as far as like digestible. Right. Um, In other words, it was just two paragraphs. So I thought I'd put it in. But now that I read it, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, Aboriginal folks in Australia. Okay. Right. But I wanted to get those words that like, you know, what tribe they are and then the Nimbinji people. Okay. Anyway. So, uh, this article comes from Mysterious Universe, which we've plugged before. They also have a podcast, so very mm-hmm. good. They're Australian, I believe, as well, or New Zealand. I can't tell the difference. Um, there's a joke from Flight of the Concords about that. I'm not going to do it's it because it's ba- I have a bad accent. But you should go watch Flight of the Concords. Yes, it's very good. Anyway, um, and it starts with this. Most people know that the Hobbit movie tr- trilogy was formed and filmed in New Zealand. However, few people know that the New Zealand's closest neighbor, Australia, is home to a mythical Hobbit-like hairy man creature. And cryptozoologist Gary Opit knew of the myth, but now he and his daughter aren't so sure it's a myth after a recent encounter with what appeared to be a two-foot-tall hairy man known as the Nimingi. The what? Our, quote, our daughter and her partner... <laughs> Uh, we're staying with us over Christmas and they saw Nimbinji or a little hairy man jump up onto our roof at 2 a.m. And from their description, it was exactly like a gibbon in all respects. Well, then it was probably a gibbon that Gary Opit's daughter saw since Opit is a zoologist who should know a gibbon from a, what was the creature again? Um, and Nimbinji, by the way, I'm just answering that for the, uh, for the article. Okay. Um, 
Of course, there are no gibbons, quote, of course, there are no gibbons here and there have never been nocturnal or terrestrial grip gibbons known. They said there were two of them calling quietly to one another. We have an audio recording of the calls and the colored illustration of what they saw. Hold on. Sorry. I don't know what a gibbon is. Gibbon. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Nogo Gooch. Lemurs, Tarsiers, oh New World, Old World. No, no go Gooch. Gorillas, orangutans, gibbons. Chimps and humans. They're one of our closest relatives. So they're like monkeys? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Are they little? Pretty little. I think I know. I think I've heard of it before. They're not monkeys, though. They're gibbons. I said like (laughs) monkeys. I did not say they are monkeys. Yeah, because Lieutenant Noah Gogoogoo. Yeah, you... Yeah, okay. Lemurs. Tarsiers. New World. No one cares about that except for your teacher. But he's the only one. Well, I care. I was excluding you. There's oh. two people in the world who care about what I'm sure there's some people out there that like Lieutenant Nogo Gooch. Okay. If you know what Lieutenant Nogo Gooch is, let me know. Everyone does now. You've said it like 7,000 times. Yeah. It's just a family tree. Uh, for, anyway. Um, she's giving me the move along look. <laughs> I am. Um, uh, Opit resides in Nimbin, a village uh, in far northeastern... New South Wales, known as the Rainbow Region, to the indigenous Bunjalung people. That's why I had the geographical part up there. Anyway, um, indigenous Bunjalung people who believe the Nimingi spirit people protect the area. So was the creature his daughter saw a physical manifestation of the Nimingi spirit person? Uh, it turns out the locals also speak of an Nimingi that is three to four feet tall, upright walking humanoid with brown skin and covered with dark brown or red hair. But that sounds like a hobbit, right? Yeah. Um, they said, quote, it makes a sound like aru, 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 interspersed with a gurgling. Oh, Did you actually hear this or are you like making this up from the words they like the letters they put together? <laughs> or are you just making this up completely? I played the fifth. Okay. I'm not making it up completely. I'll say that. Okay. But it's up to your imaginations where I got the, uh, no, it's just spelled out. Okay. It's A-R-R-O-O, A-R-R-O-O-O with all caps. Oh. And then A-R-R-O-O again. So, aru, aru, Sounds about, sounds about right. Anyway, um, you you messed up my call, my mating call. The second part was a gurgling. No, you did that part. I know, but you were talking in the middle of it. Anyway, excuse me. Cryptozoa. How could I interrupt something so beautiful? Yeah, I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to start calling to you from now on. You will not get a response. Cryptozoology research Andrew McGath says that the researcher. What did I say? Research. Researcher. Andrew Mc- him, he is the researcher. <laughs> Andrew McGrath um, agrees that the Nimbinji looks like the Hobbit, but it is not as articulate as J.R.R. Tolkien's beings, making grunts and howls, as I demonstrated, instead of movie-worthy dialogue. Um, Opit knows his Nimbinji because he had his own ex- close encounters with them, as he explains to the Daily Star, quote, Twice at dusk I heard them within 100 meters of the house, a loud and powerful call, roof, of an animal. That I could not identify. I did not observe the, the animal, but was fortunate enough to hear what I believe was its territorial call, which I, I believe I did. Um, approximately 50 meters away near a dry creek bed in eucalypt forest. Well, it might have been a little koala. Have you seen them growl? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Or it's grunting. They're grunting. Super cute. It's not cute. It's creepy. They're, everything they do is cute. They're like a little Danny DeVito out there just freaking. Everything they do is cute. All right. Fair enough. 
A series of some 90 loud bark-like calls rent the air. In the same locality, I have had an animal approach to within a few meters of me through dense vegetation, cracking two sticks together over several minutes, even as my dog barked at it and then it silently disappeared. So could these be evidence of a hobbit living in my locality? End quote. That encounter was in 1996 in the Cunyam region, uh, or Cunyam Range bushland in far northeastern New South Wales. Opit knew this wasn't a Yowie since he's best known as one of the Australia's as one of Australia's Australia's leading experts on the country's Bigfoot, which is the Yowie. Mm -hmm. He also knows the approximate size of an Imbingi after another encounter. So this guy is all about he's a cryptozoologist. He knows all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Quote on Saturday 9th. August 2008, Ray Westrap and I found a small child-sized footprint um, that led from a wallaby track on our property. This is like if someone was pretending <laughs> to be a freaking Australian. Yeah. Uh, track on a our... Wa- just a wallaby track. No wallaby deal. track on our property property onto the Jones Road track where it had walked through shallow water in a large depression and I photographed them. Small childlike footprints for three meters were visible along the rut and on the two lumps of mud that had been scooped out and thrown down. This shows lots of activity of little feet walking back and forth along the rut, uh, pushing mud onto previous footprints. And there's actually a photo attached, too, so you can Google that. Um, Okay, so, quote, small child size footprints could easily be made by a small barefoot child. Right. Uh, Jones Road is an hour drive from Nimbin. So um, so they also so they could also have been made by a similar creature to one on Opit's daughter's roof. It should be noted that Opit has his own Australian broadcasting corporate radio wildlife and cryptozoology show. And that the discovery of a cryptid, even one as obscure as a Nimbinji uh, would help the all important ratings. However, he also has a reputation as an expert in both. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt and hope he finds concrete evidence where the Nimbinji can all yell. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Anyway. Um, yeah. So that dude thinks that he encountered an Mbenji, found some footprints, whatever. So anyway, I wanted to bring up the, um, and we've talked about this before because I actually make a note here at the end of the research about, uh, homo floresiensis. I think I had the same issue last time, but do you remember that? Homo The, uh, Indonesian hobbit. Uh Um, so just to refresh your memory, and it's a very short thing, we talked about it in a different episode. I don't even remember which one. But 60,000 years ago, diminutive beings dwelled on the Indonesian island of Flores um, alongside Komodo dragons, pygmy st- stegaton- stegodons, and real-life rodents of unusual size. Uh, the now <laughs> extinct humans uh, known scientifically as Homo, Homo floresiensis and popularly known as hobbits stood less than four feet tall with brains one-third the size of living people Yet they made so it's coal, pretty much. Yet they made Aww, stone tools, poor coal, <laughs> um, butchered meat, and somehow crossed miles of ocean to colonize their tropical home. So we talked about them before, but I thought it was interesting that you know multiple cultures have these hobbit folks, which would make total sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another culture that has a hobbit folk is the Cherokee Little People, which was actually pointed out to me by um, Polly Parker Walker. Uh-huh. So thanks, Polly, for that one. Um, that's like two out of the last three weeks that she fed us something. So that's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, this one comes from the one Uh, and it, it's pretty much talking about this lady, uh, Mary Joyce's book, Cherokee little people were real, which is very on the nose for what we're talking about. But it says, quote, they originally were called the moon people because they only came out at night. Uh, and, uh, 
she went on to talk about like how she discovered about the Cherokee people. And she says, quote, uh, he started telling me about the Cherokee little people. And I got really curious about it. And that thing that I found out after talking with him is that there is concrete evidence that little people actually existed in the region. Quote, he and a few other men actually worked on the first buildings that were constructed at Western Carolina University. And when they were cutting into the virgin land, they found these little tunnels. The tunnels, Joyce related, were carved out of red clay and were arched at the top, but were just a few feet high, much smaller than an average size man could fit through. For her book, Joyce interviewed more people that were involved in the original WCU construction and more was found than just the tunnels. She also said that many people looked or believed that two Indian mounds, uh, which, again, Native American is what they're referring to, not India, because I know I just went from Indonesia right. to, to this, but this is Native American, um, were originally on the campus, but related that her interviewees uh, said differently of one of them. Quote, the old timers said that this isn't an Indian mound, it's a pile of dirt from digging these tunnels, end quote. Joyce said that the bones of little people were also found at the site. Quote, they found a little skull, she said, quote, and there was a science teacher at the university who kept it in his desk, um, but he always said it was a child's skull. But one day, another teacher came by and picked it up and looked at it real close and noticed it had wisdom teeth. Uh, typically, you don't get your wisdom teeth until you're 18, 19, 20, or 21. So that indicated it was an adult skull, not a child's skull. She said that this uh, area is teeming with mystery. Quote, we have little people, we have little tunnels, we have Bigfoot, we have all the mystery mysteries here in such a small area. Um. Yeah, so you've got a bunch of little... Oh, and that was the other thing I wanted to mention. So um, this comes from edmundlifeandleisure.com. Okay, so in this article, I think it's a little dated, but they keep saying Indian instead of Native American. Um, now, it's mostly just for um, your information. Like, I'm just reading from the article, but uh, yeah. So anytime I say Indian, I'm talking about Native Americans. And uh, again... Quoting the article uh, and it says cultures from all around the world tell about small humanoids with magical powers. Gnomes, fairies, elves and hobgoblins share similarities with little people tales of the North American Indians. However, the little people are believed uh, by many of these native people to be more than myth or legend, especially the tribal medicine men who were powerless without their guidance. So James Mooney in uh, Myths of the Cherokee published in the 19th annual report of the Bureau of American Ethnology in 1897 and 1898 describes these little people as, quote, hardly reaching up to a man's knee, but well-shaped and handsome with long hair falling almost to the ground. More than 100 years later, this magical race of little people is very real to those who learned the legend from their elders. Much of Mooney's research involved Cherokee from their original homeland of North Carolina, and he learned that due to forced migration of the Cherokee, of Oklahoma became due to forced migration. The Cherokee of Oklahoma became estranged to their original customs and beliefs. Traditions handed down through generations became tainted by the white man's education and culture. However, many Cherokee legends did endure the cult cultural transition. One example of this belief is in the small magical beings called Yunwi Tsundi. Yunwi Tsundi, I think. Um, the little people of Cherokee folklore were capable of doing good deeds for people who treated them with respect. However, to look upon one was bad luck, potentially resulting in premature death. Such was the case with people lost in the woods who were rescued by these mystical beings. After finding their way home, they told of their strange encounters and then died. Usually those who encounter the little people are warned by them not to tell others. This is considered bad luck to even speak of the little people. Instead, they are more of safety referred to safely, more safely referred to as 
skilly, which means witch or ghost. And sometimes humans build their homes near the habitat of the Yunui Tsundi. It is important to leave food for them and not block any of their paths. If the little beings were pleased, they did chores at night, like plowing fields and harvesting crops. However, the people in the house near hear the work being done, but do not, but know not to look outside. So another writer named Lombardi also found contradictory stories about humans who owned little people experiencing no ill effects. And she recounts a tale from an 81 year old man named Henry Swing, who swore his belief in the beings. He said he knew Wilson Angle, who kept two of them, a boy and a girl, to protect his property from being stolen. Swing said Angle kept them in stone milk jars out out east of his house and fed them nothing but, quote, straight water cornbread. Um, Yeah. When their host passed away, the pair went to live on with another Indian named Buster Stone, who lived in the same neighborhood. The little people are known to attach themselves to certain areas. This was the case with a 90 year old woman considered a witch or medicine doctor. She claimed that the tiny beings made a path on the west side of her house. They used to come nightly to her house for food until a water line was installed, blocking their path and putting an end to their visits. This story illustrates one consistent aspect of little people legend that crosses tribal cultures, their association with medicine men and medicine women um, and other people of a spiritual nature. The Cherokee tell of how their ancestors were accompanied by little people along the Trail of Tears in 1838. The Cherokee people were forced to leave their home in Georgia and traveled to a foreign territory now called Oklahoma. The Yunui Tsundi served as protectors and comforters during the tragic event in American history. Before the tribe migrated, they were given the gift of an everlasting fire. During months on the trail, through wind, snow, and rain, the little people kept the fire safely burning. According to Cherokee Cherokee legend, the little people continue to protect the fire that still burns today. Um, A strange article appeared in 1976, winter issue of Oklahoma Today, about little people in Oklahoma, complete with a photograph of one of the creatures. This eerie tale of medicine, men, and spirit guides comes from the Yellow Hills east of Ardmore, Oklahoma. Howard Meredith wrote an article for the Oklahoma scrapbook section of the magazine entitled Kanakuwasha after receiving a letter from a columnist for the Daily Ardmorite named Mac McGilliard. The letter was in reference to a photo McGilliard had shown by a friend from the Yellow Hills named Buster Ned, a full blood Choctaw. Oh, you're a chicken. That's not me. Chickasaw, your freaking dad. That's what her dad calls his own tribe. It's not even anyway. Yep. She's a Chickasaw. Oh, here we go. I a think um, Cole is. Yeah, Cole's Choctaw. Choctaw. That's it. Mm, yes, he's no, Choctaw. I thought he was Cherokee. No, he's Choctaw. He's Choctaw. Okay. That's what I messed up. Okay. Um, the letter was in reference to a photo McGilliard had been shown by a friend from the Yellow Hills named Buster Ned. A full blood Ch- Choctaw. Ned was chairman of the Choctaw Chickasaw. Heritage Preservation Committee. He told McGilliard, uh, I want you to see, quote, I want you to see this picture. You have Choctaw blood. This is part of your Choctaw heritage. I want you to see. You won't laugh. You will believe. And McGilliard replied, quote, I will not laugh. As you say, I have Choctaw blood. I'm a believer. The photo showed Choctaw medicine man named uh, a Choctaw medicine man named Uncle Billy Washington, who came from Mississippi to Oklahoma during the early days of the Indian Territory. He became a valued resident to the people of the Yellow Hills, ministering to them and collecting herbs in the woods to make his medicines. In the bottom left corner of the photo stood a small, strange entity. The Choctaw people knew that medicine men were aided by leprechaun-like beings who led doctors to various herbs and needed to cure the ailing. These spiritual beings were known to the Choctaw people as Kanakuwashas. 
Only the medicine men could see these special beings who appeared to all others as just glowing lights. Uncle Billy's family did not have a single photo of him. He was convinced to travel to Ardmore, Oklahoma to have his portrait taken. To stage the photo, the photographer had him stand next to a small, bare table. The developed photo showed a small, strange creature standing on the table, unseen when the picture was taken. To the Choctaw people, this was proof of the Kanakawasha who served Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy died in 1930, and the Kanakawasha... as legend tells us, do not die, but continue to run the area. On dark nights near the doctor's former home, a glowing light can be seen searching the Yellow Hills for another Indian to serve. Um, the Plains Indians told of battles uh, with hostile pygmy tribes. The Cheyenne referred to them as, quote, knee-high demons. Legend also suggests that they fed on humans. The That's Shosh- also what we call two-year-olds. Yeah, I told you it's cool. <laughs> the Shoshone called, um, called them Nimarigar. Uh, meaning people eater, and to the Arapaho, uh, tiny people eaters. Um, So certain places became known as the habitat of the little people. Wyoming is a state rich with little people lore, and in April of 1978, an issue of Argosy magazine featured an article entitled, quote, The Mystery of the Dwarf Demons, which mentioned a Casper, Wyoming attorney who found a mummy measuring 20 inches in height. Others in the area claim to have been in Possession of pygmy mummies and skulls in many cases uh, involving anomalous artifacts and relics were rarely examined by scientists and are usually dismissed as hoaxes. However, the case of the Pedro Mountain mummy is an exception to that rule. In 1932 or 34, 60 miles southwest of Casper in the Pedro Mountains, the mummified body of a tiny human was found sitting on a ledge inside of a cave. Its seated height was six and a half inches and standing, it would have only been about 15 inches tall. It had long white hair and a full set of teeth and adult body hair. In 1950, it was brought to the American Museum of Natural History in New York and examined by the museum's authority on anthropology, Dr. Harry Shapiro. Hair samples determined the mummy was human and an x-ray revealed that it did have a skeletal structure. The doctor also noted anomalous arrangement, um, the anomalous arrangement of the bones and the the unusually large eye sockets. The next stop was the Museum of Natural History in Chicago, where it was determined the specimen was that of a, quote, and then cephalic anomaly or infant born without the top of its skull. Hmm. This would account for the small head and large eye sockets, but not for the full set of body of teeth and body hair. The creature went through a series of owners who displayed the oddity for profit. Since 1975, its whereabouts are unknown. In 1979, Dr. Shapiro's x-rays were given to George Gill, a professor of anthropology at Wyoming University, who also concluded the body was uh, an encephalic infant. Um, however, an encephalic, I guess, is how it is. Anyway, however, others who for decades had an opportunity to see the actual mummy insist that it was an adult human. In the first book, Mysterious Oklahoma, uh, there's a chapter on ghosts, which might be more of an encounter with one of the little people. The incident took place before the Civil War. A Virginia aristocrat named George Merle uh, lived with his Cherokee wife near the town of Park Hill in the Cherokee Nation. This is where he used to fox hunt with friends, aided by a pack of hounds. One night, the hounds were hot on the trail, something that they could not seem to overtake. One of the members of the hunting party was a newspaper man named S.W. Ross. In 1937, he told the story of that hunt to the Indian Pioneer paper an oral history of frontier times. And Ross was quoted as saying, quote, from their excited baying, the fast running animals were apparently quite near their object of pursuit. Merle and his friend, friend James Lotta were riding after the pack, quote, Major Merle and Mr. Lotta were close together. 
and upon coming near the hounds saw running at great speed immediately in front of the foremost hounds a dwarf-like being with long black hair streaming in the early breeze run on a short distance and then suddenly vanish leaving no trace nor track immediately the hounds lay down panting and weary ross added the men stood in awe unable to believe their eyes merle however said uh quote there are things that we do not understand end quote and towards the end of the 20th century, a new version of the Little People legend became popular regarding the Greys, which are like the alien abduction, the little dudes. Yeah. Right. There was actually an in the news I was going to do, but it's very visual. There, someone took a picture of one of these dwarves. Um, and perhaps human beings have encountered diminu- diminutive entities throughout history and reports have differed according to cultures like the Duende, which you did. Yeah. So I went into all that because the Naminji wasn't as like full as I was hoping it would be. But I, but but really, it just like went back to because I was thinking about the Duende and then Polly talked about the Cherokee little people. And then they just went through what five tribes that had the same like dwarf eating people, the knee high devils. Um, and then you have leprechauns, right? Right. Um, Those are mostly in South America, right? No, leprechauns are Irish, babe. Oh, no, I wasn't thinking of leprechauns. I was thinking of Duende. No, what have you told us about? Duende. Is that what they called it? Yeah. Oh, well, them. You're the one that did the topic. I know, but I was thinking of something else. And it's probably a Spanish link, but Duende out in the Philippines as well. Um, So, yeah, this like idea of I mean, it's similar like what we talk about, like every culture has a Bigfoot, right? Every culture has ghosts. Every culture has. and, And this is just one of those that I think is pretty much overlooked in the sense of like the idea that. uh So like Bigfoot, right? We talk about all these primates that it could be, right? Well, we know these people existed, right? I just talked about them. Yeah, uh, Homo forensiensis. Right. Not only that, but we also have diminutive people today. Not to say that, like, they're confusing, you know, legitimate, like, like a, uh, you know, Homo sapien that's just small for this. This would obviously be something different. But right. I'm just saying, I think it is interesting. I think there's something to it, um, especially, like I said, considering we know that they existed. Well, I think also the other interesting thing is, like, you get into a category like you yeah you talk about ghosts you talk about bigfoot and most people who believe in anything um believe in those but then when you yeah. get into the category of fairies leprechauns duende then it gets like too oh that's too much well yeah. I mean, like the leprechauns right in, in the fae or fairy um like they're respected so much over in uh you know certain parts of europe like right. um you know they even have like like federal land not well their their version of federal right not us right, but yeah. um like devoted to them like they have places where they can't build highways yeah, uh-huh. to do to them like i don't know i just think that um like i said it's just one of those things like we talk about well big bigfoot scene all the time and so culturally present it has to you know let's look for the biological parts of it like this is the exact same yeah, thing just no on different. the other side and also you know for, like homo florensiensis is, is similar to like neanderthal in the sense of like it lived simultaneous to Homo sapien, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I just think there's something to that. Like the fact that, um, you know, Aboriginal cultures in Australia and then native cultures here in the U.S. Uh, have really held on to that belief and that they were very instrumental to their forming as a people. I think that's as compelling as anything else. Yeah, I think so, too. I, like we've talked about many times before, it may not be what we think it is or what they think we think they are, but that doesn't but mean they don't something. exist. Yeah, exactly. Um, hey, I wanted to ask is a given what the dude had on Boy Meets World that um, Feeney thought was. Remember, Eric took the money and he was supposed to take it to the bank, but then the dude came with the monkey 
And he was like, we have to get him his girlfriend. And Eric gave him all the money. And then Feeney was all pissed. And he was like, you fall for everything. And then the dude came back with the girlfriend and gave him the money back. Was that a Gibbons? No, that was a probably a small monkey. monkey. Yeah, Gibbons are bigger. That's what I thought. I just can't remember. And then uh, that's one of my favorite episodes. You know, uh, Zabumafu. Yes. He's a lemur. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Anyway, Zabumafu. I watched like two episodes. I think that's PBS. It is. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Anyway. um, Yeah. Cool. We're going to take a break, which, by the way, has been pointed out to us that we don't need to tell you because we could just roll. It's been pointed out to us. I have been pointing this out since we stopped having well, anyway, ads. Anyway, what I was saying is, it's for mid-roll. Also, it's a really good time for us to take a break. So right, we're so just, taking a so break. So just take a break. We're they taking need, a break. They don't need to and know. And they need to know so that they can take a break. But they can take a break whenever they want. They just pause. Yeah, but they don't want to not do it. They don't want to do it unless we tell them. That's not how that works. Anyway, we're taking a break. <laughs> So I'm going to be talking about Nova. Do you have any idea what this could be about? It's all caps. Yep. Nova. It's obviously like an association. The last letter is association. Yeah. But what is it? National? Nope. Well. (laughs) First try and you're wrong. All right. What's the first word? New. New order. Nope. This is not Star Wars. (laughs) New what? The new order? No. Isn't that Star Wars? No. The Jedi Order? No, there's like a new something. No, it's the bad guys. Yeah, it's, um, you know, First Order. Oh, First Order, whatever. Um, so you said new. Mm Mm-hmm. New. You're not going to get it. I know Lieutenant Nogo, Gooch. I don't know. It has to do with anything that I'm talking about. Okay, go. What is it? New Orleans Vampire Association. Oh, I know about Nova. I don't. No, you don't. I've heard about it, though. So this is obviously a community of people who consider themselves to be real vampires. Yeah, I do know about this. Okay, so... I saw a documentary about it like yeah, 10 years so, ago. Yeah, um, so the organization was founded by a man named, which like, Belfazar, Yeah. Ash and... Ash and Tizan. Mm-hmm. Ash and Tizan. Like, if you're... Belfazar is the coolest, most vampire name I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. If I met someone named Belfazar, I would be like, if you're not a vampire, I'm shocked. Anyways, um, in 2005, it actually started out to, as um, a way to help feed the homeless after Hurricane Katrina. Um, and so... <laughs> that took a turn that nobody expected. Yeah, uh, that's like it originally was that. So it's actually a nonprofit organization because of that. Yeah. And uh, still to this day, you'll see them out on like Thanksgiving Day and Christmas passing out food to the homeless. Because that's what they do. It's great. Um, so they are, they do consider themselves to be vampires, but they don't think that they're supernatural in any way. That's not what it yeah, is. They just drink blood. Um, the association, uh, some of them. Yeah, some. The association defines vamp- vampirism as, quote, a physiological condition where the person who has it is lacking the ability to create specific energies needed to get through daily events, like getting up out of bed, getting dressed, and going to work without drinking blood, end quote. Um, so according to Nova, there are different types of vampires, which I'm going to go into that. Um, some actively drink blood. Some are called, quote, sexual vampires, end quote, that feed off of sexual energy. Um, Ashen Tizen, I'm never going to say that right, said the organization has um, donors. Just like yeah, that's true. Has donors that donate blood to their cause. Obviously, they're not like out at night chasing around people and harassing people. 
Uh, he said he drinks blood an average of um, two to four times a week. And each time he drinks, it's about two to six ounces. The way he gets his blood is, quote, I usually make a cut on the backside of the, so- of the shoulder and I make sure they go home with enough bandages and neosporin. Anything could happen, end quote. Um, they also, they get tested every three months to make sure that they're clean. So they're not passing around any yep. STD. So I was going to like do this for you, but honestly, like the website itself is so incredibly interesting. I'm just going to read a lot of what. I have find off of the website. So on the front page, it says um, the New Orleans Vampire Association is non a nonprofit organization comprised of self-identifying vampires representing an alliance between houses within the community of the greater New Orleans area. Founded in 2005, NOVA was established to provide support and structure for the vampire and other kin subcultures and to provide educational and charitable outreach to those in need. Um, so like just to give you an idea in latest news. There's a New Orleans Vampire Association Homeless Outreach Program. Uh, Nova Meet and Greet Brunch. The Vampires of New Orleans... You want to go, don't you? I want to go so bad. The New Orleans uh, Vampire... No, the Real Vampires of New Orleans and Buffalo. A research note towards comparative ethnology. So, like, they out here doing good stuff. You know? And all they want to do is drink some blood. So, I remember two things about this documentary. Which I think came out in, like... I don't know. I was pretty young. Okay. Maybe 07, maybe Mm -hmm. 08. Um, I remember one was watching him suck on the cut that he made on someone's back was very uncomfortable for me. Yes. Um, Mouths are incredibly dirty. I didn't like it. So like, so is blood. That too. No, I mean for the donor. I know. I mean, in both ways. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, but, back and so forth, like he has like dirty. this like weird room in the back where they do it. And it's like a massage table or something like that. Unsurprising. Yeah. I also remember there was a woman in a corset that made me feel very uncomfortable. I mean, it's not they, they I'm not, I would not be like if I saw them walking around in normal clothes, I would be upset, disappointed. Balthazar, if I remember correctly, wore like Dracula garb. He should. Yeah, he definitely should. That's the rules. Yeah. You don't get to call yourself, like, according to me and my own opinion, which clearly I find very important, you don't get to walk around calling yourself a vampire if, unless you dress and act like one. Yeah, that's not fair. No. That's the coolest part of being a vampire, according to me, because I find blood very gross. Yeah, super gross. Anyways, okay, so here's what it says on the About Nova page. This group of people, known generally as Nova, represents... Um, in New Orleans and surrounding areas, the community of those who self-identify as being vampires. What it is to be a vampire is not debated by the members of NOVA. No member household judges the paradigm of another individual or house. We represent or attempt to the entire continuum of our community, ranging from those who view the vampiric state as a matter of energy, those for whom it is a matter of biology, spirituality, racial identity, or biospirituality. Unlike previous attempts to build a body to represent this community in NOVA, there are no ranks. Each house gets a vote at the council and each house governs those who belong to them with no interference from the other houses. Only when the community is threatened by the actions of a member of a given house does NOVA intervene with that individual. What NOVA does not do is back or support the House of NOVA by promoting the actions of the individual members such as parties, charities, and feeding of the homeless, which is also a gift to the greater New Orleans population, be they human or otherwise. Um, does do. Sorry, that was not, not does not do. Does do. That's what they do. Beyond support, Nova strives to educate both those new to the vampiric state and the human population as to what it is to be a member of this community. The members of Nova strive to see this community set apart from the fads of pop culture and make it easier for members to live the reality that they embody. I bet they were really pissed about Twilight. 
Oh, they have you. I would love to go to one of their meetings and just be like, so Twilight. Um, okay, so then they talk about why I guess this is the place. Um, so New Orleans, from its founding, has always been home to the legends of non-human sentient beings living alongside and among, among humans. Because the quote-unquote undead New Orleans, besides the quote-unquote undead New Orleans, the surrounding areas are said to be home to those who self-identify as lycanthrope, or obviously werewolves, as well as those as such things as ghosts and demons interwoven with the practice of the paths like voodoo, which is just voodoo, right? I don't know. There's like three. There's a bunch of different variations. Okay. Ceremonial magic, shamanism, and mysticism. The world is now said to be open to all manner of ways of life. So let those for whom life begins at night to show the pride that they have not um, they have not by seeking acceptance from the majority, but rather by their own minority, making a positive impact on the space that they share with the mundane majority. Um, while Nova admits the romantic romance of vampiric nature and all the joys that the night can hold for those of that nature and those that support them, Nova is also focused on the promotion of common sense with regard to that nature. Nova, by choice um, of using the round table model, seeks to end the pretentious power plays that have plagued past attempts to build such a body. Members of Nova, each in their own way, seek to express their own vision of the community, knowing that they are free to do as um, do so with the full backing of the other members. Nova is com- Comprised of artists, priests, mystics, lawyers, teachers, writers, parents, married couples, and single individuals. Nova, as a group, cuts across the socioeconomic and ethnic spectrum. Like the legends of the vampire that the members invest in as a personal reality, Nova finds its members in every segment of life. As it is written, quote, in the shadows have we our nations and our tribes, end quote. We are as many as the stars in the night sky and the storms of the earth. So, like... I disagree with that last part, but okay. Agreed, but, like... (laughs) They out here trying to do good things, bro. Yeah, hey, do like, you? I'm not saying I agree with you or anything, but like, hey, live your life. And also like, be like, hey, we're going to do this thing that a lot of people can like consider to be bad and make it not bad. Yeah. Which is great because if other, I mean, how is this any different than like sexual practices that people agree not, on? Like not. if there's two consenting parties or more, whatever, if everyone in the process is consenting, then it's fine. It's totally game. So as yeah. long as none of those people feel like compelled to do to give blood for some ungood reason, ungood for some not good reason. <laughs> Can't English today. Um, then why not? Also, they give food to the homeless. Yeah, go and on. The the housing program. Yeah. Okay, so um, they're better than you know a bunch of churches probably. Yes. So, I've talked a lot about houses, right? This is the part I find the most fascinating. So, um, I want to read about all the houses. There's a few of them, and it's going to take a minute. Do you think that's... Is that something you're interested in? Yeah, man. That was, okay. the, most, that was the thing I was the most interested in, okay. and they totally didn't touch on this at all in the documentary. Okay, yeah, so... So, Gryffindor? <laughs> there are currently seven houses. Wow. Okay? And one just says house, and when you press on it, it says, like, led by this guy, coming soon. So, there's going to be another one. Um... Okay, so I'm assuming I'm gonna we're gonna see this, but I'm assuming all the different houses are like the different kinds. Yeah, that's of what vampires. I thought. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're gonna start with um, the House of Mystic Echoes. That one's mine. That's my house. So this one is actually headed by um, Belfazar, or as his friends call him, Zar. Never mind. I don't want that house anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. Uh, 
House of Mystic Echoes promotes the motto, quote, live life to its fullest, teach those around us, work towards harmony in all your endeavors, end quote. This house is inclusive of the sum total of diversity while fostering an overall sense of community. Czar has made himself something of a spokesperson for both Nova and Vampirism in general with emphasis on being sagin feeding, which is sagin, sagin vampire are ones that do drink blood. That's what he is and that's what that's called. Okay, so that's all there is about them. That's not my house. So the next one, you might like this one. Historic Gateway Order or Ego. Ego was founded by Jezebel de Luna, which. Why are these like these people were just born and they were like, so I'm a vampire now because listen to my name. They probably changed their name, but I guess. But it makes me happy. Anyways, um, in the that was founded by Jezebel de Luna in the 1990s in the New Orleans era area. Ego is an invitation only house. This sounds very Slytherin-like. Um, <laughs> whose potential members are selected and evaluated for a year's time before an invitation may be extended. New members are, upon acceptance, given full house status and responsibilities, which include helping with the vampire ball and charity wine tasting, helping the founders with the Nova charities, etc. Ego is about helping women put a strong foot forward in and out of the vampire community. I want to be a part of Ego. Yeah, well, you're a Slytherin. Strong so. vampire ladies, I am a Slytherin. That's a fact. Okay. So, the next one is House Rakosi. Headed by... Good night. Sounds like Hufflepuff. Good night. Headed by Memhistophilesis. This Memhisto... No. Maybe the pH could be an F. Mephistophilesis? 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 Sure. That's a demon, I think. T. Brostered. Brostered. Um, this house harkens back to the decadence enjoyed by the privileged few in other times while taking advantage of all that life in modern has to offer. Uh, Mef's, These are dandies. They're totally yeah. Guillaume. Yeah. <laughs> Mef's advice is sought by many in the community, established as well as new to the community. House Rakosi teaches a path made up of three rounds, occultism, religious faith, and survival. No, not my house. None of these descriptions are great. No, I'm not getting any vibes. Right, like, I feel like I'm, like, I'm I'm waiting for the one that resonates with me. I'm getting very few. Okay, so House of the Muses, headed by Lorelai, this house... um, We are the muses. (laughs) This house of many talents is comprised of artists and musicians from all walks of life. It embraces and supports the creativity that springs from the trials of life transformed into beauty and power. Um, okay, next, next... Oh, that one at least made sense. Yeah, like the name goes with it, yeah. Yeah, founded by who? Nobody? Uh, Lorelai. She yeah. had a very normal name. I like Lorelai. Gilmore? That's not a real person, so the answer is no. <laughs> House Ethereum, headed by Esliador. Es- House Ethereum. Yeah, these are fake names for sure. Yeah, is an official chapter house of House Lost Haven. Founded in 2012, House Ethereum came into being as a formal manifestation of the familial bonds forged and found amongst its membership and as a vehicle through which to realize the goals of promoting the purposes set forth by House Lost Haven, furthering individual growth and development and providing a support structure for those within the family. This makes no sense. These descriptions are terrible. They're horrible. Like I, you know, I have so I have something to say. If the IRS approves them as a nonprofit, but not me, I'll be really, really upset. <laughs> hey, yeah, but they did very good things for the homeless people. Yeah, I'm gonna do very Aww. good things. You're just messing with me now. House Razor, more content coming soon. House Razor. 
That sounds so cool. But I can't know what it is. Because it's going to be by freaking Jebediah Springfield. (laughs) And it's going to have this horrible description. Ah, and House of the Dreaming also. More content coming soon. Okay, well, that one's I just want to say that if I was about to join, like if I was trying to join and I looked at these houses, I would have nothing to go off No, I'd have to request a meeting. The only reason I like Ego is just because it's about women and power, which like... Yeah, that's cool. Always. But anyways, um, there was one more thing I was going to read to you. I'm going to find that uh, documentary. Um, Hold on. So I wanted to also point out that Nova also can be read as standing for Novus Ordo Vampire Ascendre or the new order of vampire has arisen. Oh, snap. Um, Nova basically arose from from various attempts to give the vampire and other kin some culture support and structure um, in the ashes of Hurricane Katrina. So it was like very specifically attached to Katrina, not only with food, but also I think maybe these people had a had groups beforehand, but those groups kind of fell apart with the destruction of their whole entire city. So they came back together and created Nova. Okay. Oh, so they have a new. It's a, it's a whole show. Oh, really? I guess it's from 2018. This is not what I was talking about, but um, it's on Prime Video, and surprisingly, with 33 views, has three out of five stars, which I wouldn't have expected it to be that high. So not surprised. Maybe you should check it out. That's not what I was talking about, though. I will find what I was talking about. I think there is a BuzzFeed episode on it. I it wouldn't be BuzzFeed because this I distinctly remember this being older. Well, I know, but I mean, like, just because yours isn't. I'm pretty sure I saw when I put up. Hold on. Well, there probably is a but when I put in his name. Known, hold on. Yeah, BuzzFeed Unsolved Supernatural. Really? His IMDb. Is he just on it? We got, but what else would he be on? I don't know. I know that there was one. Hang on. Yeah, documentary. Ah. The Unexplained Real Vampires in New Orleans. That's what I saw. I think. Anyway. So wait, I just want to look at their cute little events, though. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah they go to jackson square and that's where they do their um beating outreach thing um they also had a silent online auction of a variety of items including artwork and jewelry probably from the muse house probably it's just very interesting to me it's like go you guys for like finding something that you do that is considered taboo and instead of saying like Forget the rest of the world. We're just going to do what we want and not care. They said, like, hey, let's, like, show the world that we can do this thing in a good way. If you take it from the sense of, like, obviously it's a big part of their identity, right? Like they said. I mean, they firmly believe that it's a part of what keeps them alive. So, yes. Yeah. But, I mean, they they specifically brought up the whole identity aspect. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know... They just want to feel accepted, which is fine. Which is what everyone wants. They're not hurting anybody, so. Yeah, and even if they kind of are... It's con- extremely consensual, so. Yeah. And as long as it stays that way. Which it may not. You never know Balthazar and what he's God, up to. such a cool name. Yeah. I'd, I almost want to be a vampire just so I can have a cool name. What would your name be? I don't know. That would be like an old-timey name. The old-timey girl, which, like, girl vampires always were. They always had, like, Isabel or something. Yeah, but you're not cultural enough for Isabel. 
What's that supposed to mean? You know what it's supposed to mean. Anybody can be Isabel. No, your name. That guy thinks he can be Belfazar. Your freaking name works. It's old. It's white. It was very biblical. Mm. Super biblical, which is kind of against what. Yeah, a little bit. We're going for here. You should be uh, Jezebel. Someone else is already Jezebel. We just read that. She's Jezebel. I literally. She's one of the leaders of the houses. Her name was Jezebel. Was it? Yes. I don't think so. I, my lord. I just read it. It's Jezebel? Yes. That's weird. I'm pretty sure she's the ego lady. Jezebel DeLuna. Oh, wow. Jezebel DeLuna. Anyways, my before we get sidetracked, my resources were... Before? Well... It's already occurred. Um, WGNO, Washington Post, and also, obviously, the NOAA website itself. Excellent. Yeah. So, I think that's interesting. Like, obviously, I, you know... Well, when we go to New Orleans, we should check them out. Yes. I really I, don't want to, though. I don't really believe that people need blood to live like that like no. you need blood in, in your the, inside of you it might have been a history channel the unexplained or it might have been net geo but in there they had a doctor that was like right that's what i mean like there's no like scientific do claims of that and if anything i'm sure it messes with your iron levels the dude said that like there were like many periods of time that he would just go off of blood and the doctor was like don't do that please well because first off you're not getting a lot of the things Could you, you imagine need. this toilet Oh, RJ, Rachel. Anyways, you're not getting all the nutrients you need, but also your iron levels. That freaks me out because if you get iron, a lot of stuff would not be good. If yeah. you get iron poisoning, that's too high. Like done for homie. Just bad, man. All right. Well, but yeah, live your life, bro. Yeah. Live your life. If you want to be a vampire, go to New Orleans. Just don't chase people around and, you know, kill them or like suck their blood. No, it has to consent. be consensual. That's not yeah. nice. But if you, if you want to make it a part of your bedroom games, that's fine. Oh yeah. That's part of it. That's what they said. Yeah. All right. Good times. See you next week, I guess. (laughs) Bye. Bye. That's how I get your attention when you're talking. That's how you do it. I I will not do that. And I can't... um, Cheatery-dee. I can't um, roll my R's so it wouldn't be effective. Mm.